Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. The Archaeology Podcast Network is sponsored by Codify, a California benefit corporation. Visit Codify at www.codifi.com. Ancient tools and burials, plants and seeds, Neanderthals. All these things we make no apology for the study of archaeology. We don't do dinosaurs, no we don't do Welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast, Episode 64. I'm your host, Sarah Head, with my co-hosts today, Ken Fader and Jeb Card. Today we're talking about why it's important that the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast exists. We're reintroducing you to our goals of presenting actual archaeological facts to counter all of the archaeological nonsense that's out there. Get ready to think critically. Digging in a trench, monuments, going to the pub when the day is spent. Funny beady blokes you will see are a staple of archaeology. Hey everyone and welcome to the Archaeological Fantasies Podcast. I am your host Sarah and I am here today with my co-hosts Ken Fader. How's it doing? Happy New Year, Sarah and Jeb. And Jeb Card is with me tonight too. Uh, it's 2017, so 2016 can't kill anybody else. This is also it's the, true. It's the it's an archaeological fantasy threesome <laughs> for the new year. Yeah, look out. We got to keep those odd numbers going in the odd years. Yes. It is also being as this is the first podcast we are recording in 2017. We are officially a two-year-old podcast. I think that I think that means temper tantrums. It does. It Absolutely. means temper tantrums. Absolutely. I've learned the word no. I'm going to repeat it frequently. Uh, Ken, how are how are you going to express your terrible twos? It's it's well, it's past the point that we should be potty trained. I think at this point, but you know, we could be obstreperous about that. We we can still have accidents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. Absolutely. I think I think we should start thinking about individual shows as accidents. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, there's at least one I can think of. Anyway, so you guys, uh, since it's our second year on the air and it's a brand new year, I thought maybe it would be good for our audience, especially for people who are maybe just finding us for the first time. I don't know where they've where have been, been for, for two, two years, years, but God, come on. if you're just listening to the Archaeological Fantasies podcast for the first time, I thought maybe we could go over kind of the goals and the purpose of the show as we laid it out two years ago and how that's kind of changed over the last two years, because we've, we have grown and matured somewhat as a podcast. Uh, I'm not, I'm not sure about that last adjective, but continue. Well, we at least brought Jeb on. I mean, that's a sign, right? Again, not with the maturation. (laughs) Well, I thought, I thought, I thought Jeb's on the show because his parole officer makes him go on the show. Uh, Is this community service? (laughs) Yeah. Is that community service for you, Jeb? As as a uh, as an employee of uh, the state, I can neither confirm nor deny uh, any, anything that's been described in the last 15, 20 seconds. That's awesome. So your legal counsel recommends that you not answer Just, wait, that ha- question. Hang, hang on a second. Yes, that is uh, precisely what they said. I don't I don't think you can plead the fifth on podcasts. I don't I don't think that stands. Uh, so. The Archaeological Fantasies podcast was uh, originally started, uh, like I said, two years ago with just Ken and I at that point. And we both saw a hole that needed to be filled in the podcasting universe where two intelligent people would get together and discuss odd aspects of pseudo-archaeology and the fringe community and come up with logical, rational, and well-thought-out arguments against them. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea for a podcast, Sarah. <laughs> no, then, that's what we're doing. Never mind. Never yes. Mind. And then Ken and I got hired to do the show. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, I I think we've stuck with that for the most part. Yeah. Uh, we've had but a lot of fun with find, it. They couldn't find the intelligent people you were, they were looking for, so we got 
we got the job instead. Now we drag in Ken because Ken is, believe it or not, a rock star in archaeology, which cracks me up every time we have a host on, a, a guest on. And they're well, like, like, oh the yeah, stuff. Ken Fader, I love him. That's a great, I like the phrasing. <laughs> yeah. I, I am always, I don't know why, but it always makes me giggle when I have a, host, a guest on. And they're like, oh yeah, I love Ken Fader. I followed everything he's written. He's like, he's the whole reason that I'm into French. Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, they, they don't know the truth about me. Right. And then like, <laughs> I said, for a little bit, you learn the truth. And then I'm like, yeah. And then I'm, I'm also a co-host. Like, oh yeah, that's great. Thanks. <laughs> Screw you. Of course, I, I, well, I met Jeb. It was 2012, right? Jeb at the, yes. the SAAs. Oh, there you uh, go. No, well, we were at the SA, but also at the um, the Sunwatch. Uh, you had come to give a talk, um, I believe, on ancient aliens as part of the AIA uh, series that year. They they sort of themed them to weird shit because oh, of right. yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the 2012 business. And you went to the Sunwatch um, in Ohio, which is about an hour from my house. It's a wonderful place, a yes. really wonderful facility. Sounds yes. nice. And um, I'm going to be doing something similar, not the same organization, something similar at, uh, I believe, Fort Ancient later this year, although I'm not sure that's all been announced. Very cool, yet, very so. cool. Yeah, that was, very briefly, at the end of my presentation at Sunwatch, Brad Lepper, well-known archaeologist in Ohio, presented me with a replica of one of the Newark Holy Stones. Yes. Which we did an episode about. And I I was only in Ohio briefly, so I only brought carry-on luggage. And they actually tagged me when I when the luggage went through the scanner and they saw one of the Newark <laughs> Holy Stones. They pulled it, they pulled it out and they demanded that I explain what in the world this was. And so I said, well, it's, it's kind of a funny story. And I started giving them the Newark Holy Stones lecture. And it was in the Dayton airport, which is a really small airport. All yeah. the TSA people came around. One young woman took out a pad and said, do you mind if I take notes? That's awesome. <laughs> so she was taking notes about this. And they, they gave me, they gave it back to me and I put it away. And one of the TSA agents said, you know, this is Dayton. Nothing ever interesting. Nothing interesting ever happens here. <laughs> this was the best thing that's ever happened in the airport. I like the date. I, I, I like the Dayton Airport. I, I my last two times have been out of uh, CVG, but I like the Dayton Airport. I don't fly. My, one so. of my favorite airports, I think, is it was Milwaukee, where after you get, if you go through the the security and you, your belt is off and your shoes are off, they have a, a, a sign that says the recombobulation area. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I think I I actually photographed it because it was like. That's perfect. That's awesome. That's pretty awesome. Well, at least yeah. they're honest about it. But yeah, no. no we but met. That, we met there, and then we did. Uh, we did do the SAA session later that year. And and Jeb and Dave Anderson edited the volume based on the, those papers and on a, a number of others. Um, Jeb, you want to give a little little shout out to your book? Yeah. Well, we had we we've had, and the thing is, and so now since if since we are treating this as kind of like a, if you've not listened before, right? We ended up having a lot of the people in that effort, like David Anderson, like April Besaw, like Stacy Dunn, like Chris Begley. It's uh, it's sure really I'm the reason. Somebody. It's really the Brad reason Lepper. why we had Jeb come on the show is so that we could just slowly milk the book for all of its ho all of the guests in it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Not not entire not entirely inaccurate, uh, but we put we put together this 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 decent edited volume, very good edited volume in my opinion, being the lead editor, um, <laughs> that uh, that covers a lot of different case studies and perspectives. Ken did the discussion on it, and that's uh, Lost City Found Pyramid, uh, Alternative Archaeology and Pseudoscientific Practices, and I think some of the things that we're going to talk about today. Are, are addressed by a number of authors in one way or another in, in that volume. And even, even just today, a friend of mine sent me a link to an article in The New Yorker about uh, yes. the, the Mosquito Coast, this, the discovery of this lost civilization in Honduras. And Begley um, did a paper about this controversy at the 2012 SAAs, and yeah. his paper is in, his article it's is in the book. Yes, and it's it's still it still exists. This is something that's ongoing, and the people are 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 reacting to this gross mis misrepresentation yeah. of what's and going if you, on. And if you want to learn, if you want to learn more about that, about the patch, the Tawaka, the the mosquito, and the claims about this 
Ciudad del Jaguar or Ciudad Blanca or the Lost City of the Monkey God. All these various names have been given to this myth. Um, go back and listen in our catalog to the episode with Chris Begley, who, by the way, right. was one of our most amazing guests. He was. I really uh, enjoyed fan- having him on. He was very cool. Yeah. He is a fantastic scientist and a fantastic interview, and I strongly recommend if you've not gone and listened to that one, you go pull that one out of the archives, folks. So and if you're in fact, go ahead. I was just going to say, just going to say that if you read about this controversy, a lot of the other scholars mention Chris's name yeah. and say he's the guy who has done all of this work that was ignored by these folks saying, oh, we've discovered some fabulous new site. Yeah, he, he, he did his dissertation there. He was, of course, but as many will point out, there have been archaeologists from outside working there for decades, like Herbert Spindon and Doris Stone. And then, as Chris very much and pointedly pointed out, he didn't discover these sites. He mapped them for academic purposes. Every single one of them, he was shown by uh, local Petch people. Right. They, this is their backyard. Mm-hmm. So, but anyway, you can hear more about that on, on that show. Okay. So if you're still exactly. a little confused as to what the point of this podcast is, we really do uh, look at pseudo-archaeological claims and we try to pick them apart and find the logic behind them. And at the same time, we're trying to teach you a little bit about what real archeology span would do with something like this, what real archeologists would expect to find if something like that were real. Um, Taking the Lost City, for example, we would expect to find quite a bit of garbage, maybe some buildings and maybe artifacts that were leading us there. But as Jeb mentioned, people have known that these locations have been there pretty much as long as they've been there because these people are native to that area. So it's just kind of looking at the logic of what is already there and helping you put together your own thoughts on it and hopefully guiding you away from the fringe and more towards the rational way of thinking. And I think a major thing underlying this is that you're, you're listening to three people who are passionately interested in the human past. And we take personal offense when people (laughs) misrepresent what what the actual archaeological record tells us about that past. So it's not just that we want to debunk bad stuff. We want to explain why we know these things, why their their ancient aliens didn't build the pyramids, or why ancient Phoenicians didn't build Mystery Hill, or why there really isn't a lost city in um, in Honduras. We want you to understand how we know that. And then talk about we talk about real archaeological yeah. sites in this podcast as well, and explain how we actually solve the mysteries about human past. Yeah, I mean there are all kinds of amazing things that we know, and amazing things that we're still trying to find out that are in fact mysteries, are in fact questions, and we know that people are interested in stuff that seems glamorous and sensational. And actually, one of my critiques of of professional archaeology, and we've talked about this on the show, and it's a thing I write about a lot is we sometimes purposely make things dull because it makes us feel more professional. I think that that's foolish. And, and, I, and I think one of the ways, and this is something we're, I think we're going to get to uh, as the show progresses today, to deal with this increasing tidal wave of, <laughs> frankly, as we've used the word before, bullshit, is to realize that we've got really cool stories to tell, and sometimes we should be kind of excited and talk about how there's things we don't know or the things we know are pretty nuts. And so, for example, we talked in a previous episode about the fact that there were friggin' hobbits, <laughs> that there were very small people in Indonesia in the Pleistocene, and how people have spun stories that are not true. But there's also, like, really cool stories about them right. that are true. And we covered all of that as well as how the media screws these sorts of things up. I, I want to point something out here for those of you who have not listened to our show before, that 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 f- from the, the, the time it took for one of us to say bullshit, that's about the longest stretch we've ever encountered. Usually we get to that a long yeah. time before Jeb just did. So just just and usually it's Ken. Fact. I'm uh, I'm teaching I'm teaching an online course this semester, so a lot of it is done. Uh, through you know web pages and other kinds of content and i have been linking to our show (laughs) but every time that i do i do have to put on 
by the way, there's a good chance that there's some not safe for work language here. So please be aware of that. So do you put a parental advisory parental sticker advisory. on every one of the podcasts? I, I actually, I think, we, I think we on our iTunes, we do have the explicit yeah. uh, marker. So yes, don't swear yes. that much. Well, hey, listen, there's, not there's, always. We don't just sometimes. Whenever, whenever I lecture about Stonehenge, I always provide students with a link to the YouTube of that the the duo Ilvis. Oh, I've yes. got this wonderful um, music video about Stonehenge, but I always warn the students there is some rough language and a little bit of sexual innuendo. So if that bothers you, don't watch it. But I'm not. I don't feel secure enough, even with 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 tenure, to show it in class because that's <laughs> well, the last would... thing I need is somebody bitching about. Oh my God, there's some sexual content. Yeah. Well, I I I, I make it clear, given that you know the the thing with an online course is everything is right there in black and white. Oh, so you bet. It, it makes me think about this, which is actually interesting. But anyway, I don't want to get into that. Sure, um, too, sure. too much like too much like work. Okay. So but, so what uh, people are taking away at this point is that we like to talk. And we swear, and sometimes we talk about archaeology. That seems uh, these seems like our strengths. This is I think true. This is uh, yeah, yeah. I, but, I would like uh, to. Oh, go ahead. Sorry, Jeff. Well, I think the thing that we are trying to actually get to is all right. Let's let's just get to it. There has been all right. So when you guys brought me on, yes, when you and guys we brought, brought me on as a as a co-host, and we brought um, you on last back, year. So you've been with ahead. us about half the time that the podcast has been on the air. So. Right. And before that, I was a guest several times and I brought the high class, uh, the high class that I bring to everything. So you had me on about the Lost Continent movie that doesn't exist. You had me on about Roswell. Right. Um, oh, yeah. But yeah. yeah. But the, the first time I was brought on and it, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, it's not just entirely self-adulation. <laughs> um, the first time you, you guys brought me on was to talk about how there's a lot of weird things out there. They sort of what you guys called the fringe of the fringe. And there's a two part episode where I, where I talk about this and one of my messages that kind of, I think came through loud and clear. And it's one I've continued on as a co-host is there is a lot of weird things out there. There's frankly far more people that believe it than you might expect. And it ties into the political and it ties into how we discuss what we do in public and how it's not always going the way we want. Well, 2016 <laughs> had a few things to say about that in terms of um, accuracy in media. This new phrase, which I think is driving everybody who's ever been involved with the skeptical movement before crazy of fake news. Um, you know, a lot of the things that we talk about, uh, I think, are frankly more relevant than they have ever been. As weird mm -hmm. as that may sound, even though we're talking about like you know, UFOs, and we've talked about genetics of, uh, you know, strange ideas and angel DNA, it's actually more relevant than it's ever been. And I think that's one of the things we kind of want to get across in this show. Sure. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is that and we've mentioned some of these in the, in the podcast, this whole fake news thing. It's it is it is certainly seems to have reached a crescendo now, but it's not brand new. Um, no. we, have, we have a newspaper article in Arizona claiming that there's an ancient civilization hidden away in the Grand Canyon. And it was an entirely fake article, not presented as fake, but presented as the real deal. Um, and even uh, even folks who were who were involved in putting it together said, no, no, it, it was just for entertainment purposes. Doesn't make any difference. People are still talking about that as yeah. a real thing, and um, it's just a sort of frightening because back then, all right, a newspaper article in some small paper in Arizona could go would would generate interest just so far. But now, uh, with well, with the internet, these things travel around the world instantaneously. And how does how does the truth ever catch up to it? Yeah. Well, when we did the Moose show, I brought up the the uh, article in the New York American by Paul Schliemann, the right. uh, uh, the descendant of Heinrich Schliemann, uh, that helped create the lost continent of Moo and, frankly, plays into things like UFOs and all that. Problem is, he never existed. The entire thing was made up out of basically plagiarism of H. Ryder Haggard's novel She – and whatever they knew about Heinrich Schliemann, they had lying around the newspapers in 1912 at the New York American. So, yeah, it's not new at all. No, it's not. And 
as Ken was saying, and Jeff hit on this as well, once that crap's out there, it's impossible to catch it all. I mean, this podcast does a really, I feel like this podcast does a really great job of catching the stuff and trying to, you know, explain why that's not right and, and try to give you the correct answer or at least lead you towards reason. But, you know, once it's out there, it's out there. You, you got your crazy uncle who's repeating it. I mean, I've got people that, like, believe there are mer people that live under the ocean. Like, they believe this. So well, they believe they they believe it without the secret evidence to which some of us are privy. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Jeb. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it's it's just like that though. I mean, once they have the belief in their mind, it, it's almost impossible to change it. And when you have joke articles going out without indicators that it's a joke, it it causes problems. And then you compound that with an archaeological community that, as Jeb said sometimes just likes to talk in big words because it makes us feel fancy. And I think all three of us are fairly critical about that particular habit. You know, it's a compounding issue that just kind of grows and gets worse. The quote that that came to mind, this, this website says it's Winston Churchill. A lie gets halfway around the world before the truth has a chance to get its pants on. Yeah. And that's figure that's the 1930s or forties with, with a level of technology that is far less than what we have today to disseminate information. Right. So now it's like the lie gets around the world 20 times before the truth has a, has a chance to get its pants on. And that's, that's something that we have to deal with. All science has to deal with. And, but certainly in archeology, span we've got, this is a, this is a, an issue that is, well, it's, it's, it provides one of the reasons for the existence of this podcast. Well, and it repeats itself too. As you were saying, you know, you're, oh, you're right. hearing about this lost civilization and civilization in Honduras. And Chris Begley talked about that in 2012. I mean, Jeb's brought up the meteorite dagger that was found with uh, King. Tuacamon. Yeah. And we've I know Jeb has encountered that at least a few years before the email that we're talking about this moment. Um, the 10 most uh, mysterious ancient artifacts, which is how I founded my blog. It was going over each one of these 10 artifacts, which are not artifacts and not mysterious. That thing still goes through my email box right. every once in a while. Oh, yeah. I mean, and, that, and it's been around forever. Yeah, the, the glass the glass pyramids of Atlantis off of Cuba right. that were supposedly detected by remote sensing. I've seen that one just about be discovered for at least 12 years. Right. <laughs> I mean, these things come or they have legs. They keep coming around. No, to be fair, they are, to be fair, they're glass. So they're very hard to see underwater. Right. But not hard to run into. Yeah. Like, you just, <laughs> do people just like pass over them? How does that work exactly? It, 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 uh, it helps that they don't exist. That, that's, the, that's actually, <laughs> that, that's the main issue. So it, it's easy not to hit something when it's not really there. Well, of course, yeah. So why don't we take a break and when we come back, uh, let's kind of get into the meat of one of these reoccurring topics that we get hitting on. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And we are back. And Ken, you had a thought? Well, yeah, I mean, we don't deal with cryptozoology too much on the show. We have. But but I, to, to kind of, as a lead-in, you know, there's a show that's still on Animal Planet called Finding Bigfoot. Oh, yeah, that and is it's been on. How many, how many years has Finding Bigfoot been on? Is it like seven or eight years now? Something it's something crazy. like that. And 
We did what? used to do. We talked to. We at one point had the cryptozoology drinking game because I kept bringing that shit up. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, but Jeb had a cryptozoology it, drinking game. I will <laughs> own up to that entirely. <laughs> the thing, the, my point is six, almost six years, almost six years. All right. Well, it's it's been on almost six years. It's called Finding Bigfoot, but they haven't found the goddamn Bigfoot. So by rights, they should change the name of the show to Not Finding Bigfoot because that's what they do. But that's that's kind of symptomatic of all this. Uh, the, the fact that these things keep showing up, these claims made about human the human past show up again and again and again. There's nothing new to these things. The evidence is always lacking, and yet it's brought up over and over and over again, which I think leads us to uh, a discussion of Jason, our co- our colleague Jason Colavito's uh, blog from was yesterday. From yeah, the, first. the first. Yeah, the first. Talking about all of the stuff made, all the claims made in the name of human antiquity over the course of 2016 – these earth-shaking, amazing new discoveries that turned out to be nothing whatsoever. Yeah, yeah. He he has named it. Uh, he has named it. So let's see where we are. Look back in anger. Ring in the new year, which of course is a reference to Bowie. Uh, mm-hmm. Ring in the new year with a recap of 2016 in franchise. Now he normally does this every year. I went back and read his last year, uh-huh. and you're right, Ken. It's the same stuff. <laughs> it's the same shit. The- quantity of the quantity of same stuff though is greater right it is way greater it is <laughs> there there is a definite and 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 i'll come back to why i think there may be something to that but yeah the quantity got bigger and bigger and bigger as the year went to some degree it's not like 2016 we saw we see an abundance of brand new claims made oh God, about no human antiquity it's the same shit we've heard over and over and over again and jason's we'll certainly supply a link to um to to that to jason's blog of the first but it's what's interesting is he he just lists uh, case after case after case where this is what the claim was here's how they said they were going to prove it and in each case it's what they had there's nothing There's there's nothing. there's no evidence they just simply didn't prove what they say they were going to prove and it just it's and these are claims that show up again and again and again at what point do people wise up and say well i guess there's no evidence because it simply isn't true or isn't accurate well here's something interesting that i have noticed and uh, so i was sent i was recently sent a copy of frank joseph's most recent book which is uh the lost history of ancient america and it's an edited volume of articles that have already been posted in the Ancient American magazine. And building off of what Ken was saying, you know, you would think at some point with all this lack of evidence, somebody would go, hey, wait a minute, the emperor's wearing no clothes. The way that these articles are written, they do not require evidence for them to be true. This is a... a, a theme throughout the entire book, Mm -hmm. the author of whatever article will simply say, this is true. And you are just expected to accept it. They don't even attempt to provide you with actual evidence of any variety. They don't cite anything. They don't do anything that you would logically think to do in order to support an argument. They literally will just say, I'm a professor of physics at Brigham Young, and I say horses are from America, that that someone came over before the Spanish and brought horses back to America. I have no proof of this, but that's what I say happened, and therefore it is true. And and that's it. That's that's what almost every article in that book is like. They so don't... Do a, lo- do a lot of them bounce off of text? Because that's been my experience. I mean, you know, the, the ancient aliens and the, the other shows and all the things... They often will show you, like, the stones of Puma Puka, and then you actually watch these things, or you read these things, and nine times out of ten, most of what they're actually interested in is just illustrating stuff they're getting from mythological texts and historical texts. They don't, is, is a- they don't even really reference stuff. If they do reference it, it's in an incredibly vague way Okay. that... I've been writing rebuttals and I've, I've been doing this as an exercise for myself where I've been writing rebuttals on each article as it comes up, which requires a 
phenomenal amount of research just to find what they're talking about, mm-hmm. let alone if what they're claiming it says actually is said. And it's that's the way they like it. They keep it vague. They hear, and I, I can only guess that they've like heard secondhand that there was something that happened. Or like in the case of one of the articles I'm reading, I'm 90% sure she just read an article from the Daily Mail and then wrote an article about that article for ancient America. And and that's that's the only reference she has. And it's it's very clearly, you know, she's got her little footnote and there's a little footnote in the back of the book. But that's it. There's no attempt to find the the academic paper. There's no attempt to contact the researchers. There's no attempt to look at the actual artifact assemblage, which if she was this woman claims to be a professional archaeologist, so all of these things should be accessible to her at some level and there does not appear to be any attempt to do any of that aside from reading a daily mail article and then just citing that as fact and it's absolutely (laughs) acceptable but what's terrifying about that is is and i don't want to descend into politics but when you have individuals who will remain nameless saying well i heard that a bunch of muslims were on rooftops in new jersey on 9 11 cheering as the towers came down that's repeated, and there's no source for that other than, well, I saw it somewhere, and then somebody else repeats it, and somebody else repeats it. It's exactly it's what of, it is. It sort of exactly is the same thing. It's exactly what it is. There is, it's, it's, it's fascinating to look at, and it's horrifying to process because you are reading what is being passed off. Because Joseph claims for this to be akin to an academic book, this book of his that he has published, and not only is it just as good as an academic book but it's even more simplified and the evidence inside of it is even more incontrovertible than actual archaeological science and all this book does is just say this is real that's all it is it's just an article saying this is my thought my thought is real therefore it is real and that's the argument are you writing a review of this Sarah? i am yeah, I, I saw your first. I saw. Well, you had two pieces. You had the very intro, and then I saw the one you put up recently. I think you put it up yesterday. Yeah, I mean, I know we've talked about the whole be, not being reactionary thing, but I feel like I want to do this personally just because I want to know more about this particular branch of the fringe. Which, uh, if people don't know who Frank Joseph is, I'll I'll put a oh, link. Oh, you 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 already linked to it in the uh, in the article. I noticed that. Yeah, yeah, but I'll I'll put a link up for uh, our listeners in the show notes to get an yeah, yeah. idea of who Frank Joseph is. But yeah. he Andy, Andy White has a has a fact page. On he it. does, and that's probably what I'll link to, honestly. Um, but he is very invested in the Book of Mormon and sure. proving uh, the Book of Mormon to be right. factually true, and so are all of the people who are part of this book. Well, is Wayne May the publisher? Wayne May is the editor of Ancient American Magazine, and he is, in fact, a uh, – he's a Mormon, but not kind of a, a standard mainstream Mormon. He's at the at, at an extreme right. uh, that that accepts uh, hyperdiffusionism and, and lots of evidence all over the country for the yes. Levites or Nephites being in the New World. Uh, Wayne May did not edit the volume. Frank Joseph is the editor of the volume. Right, no, but – I but think Wayne it's Wayne May's. Yeah, I think he's the publisher of the book. Um, so, yeah, so it's it's all interconnected back to the Ancient America magazine because they are both. Uh, Frank Joseph was a past editor, at least he claims that's what he was, and Wayne May is the current uh, editor of the magazine. So, I mean, this all comes gotcha. back around. But it's just, it's fascinating as an anthropologist to look at this group of people, and I always thought they were a smaller group of people than they appear to be. Um, who will just accept something because you said it was true. You don't even have to prove right. it's true. You just have to say it is and they'll just accept it. And once a, once your brain has accepted a fact or what you think is a fact, correcting that in your brain is like immensely difficult. Yeah. We were th- this brings up something else. We were discussing this before we we went, you know, we went on on the air, which is the question has the size of the folk, the, the size of the population of people who embrace the fringe in archaeology or in any other field, is it growing? In the past, I've done student surveys in which 
usually at least the plurality of students say, I don't know. You ask them, uh, yeah, do you agree or disagree with the statement that the, there was a lost content of Atlantis and a tremendous impact on human history? And a small percentage um, agree strongly, a small percentage disagree strongly, and that a lot of the folks, the plurality, sometimes the majority, are in the middle saying, well, I don't know, I've heard of that, but I don't know. And that's usually been the case um, when you talk about ancient aliens, you talk about Atlantis, you talk about King Tut's curse, that, that we have all these fence sitters, these people saying, well, I've heard of this, I don't know what to make of it. And it's always been my argument that there's our target audience. These are people who are interested in the human past. If all they have is ancient aliens and America on Earth, that's what they'll embrace because it's all they're exposed to. And so there's our target audience. But is that changing now? Is the world changing? And is that is the, the proportion of fence sitters decreasing and the, the people at the at the ends of the, the tails of the curve is, are that is that are those numbers increasing? I, I, I think they are. I, I, I don't have a survey to back that. Of course, here's the problem. There has been recent people looking at surveys and starting to realize, like a good anthropologist should, right. that surveys are not perfect tools. They do not people have agency. And it has been is become increasingly clear that there are things that people will answer on surveys as a form of being heard. Like you can put conspiracy theories on surveys and you can get sometimes shockingly high numbers. And those surveys, those, those answers seem to be in part basically to some degree a way of it's not terribly different than liking on Facebook. I, I think that's increasing how uh -huh. people are sometimes. So sometimes it's hard to tell. But then I think that gets to the fact that I do think there are less fence sitters because I think, frankly, we are more polarized as a society than we were, say, 40 years ago. And there's actually so many plenty, levels. Yeah. And yeah. There's a lot of evidence. There is actually a lot of real both ethnographic and sociological like sort of survey and not just survey, but census data and deep data. Like I just was looking at that, that uh, piece The New York Times put out where they analyzed what TV shows people watched right. and where they voted and where they lived. And we're finding oh, right. even polarization there. Yeah. And while there were not, uh, it was not a perfect study, I suspect it's largely accurate, and it's not the first thing to show. And there have actually been studies, and maybe we'll see if we can find these for the show notes, that showed that other things used to show how you would vote. And increasingly, it is just coming down to a large degree to a lot of political ideology and a few other ideological things. We are more ideologically distinct than we once were. No, I, I completely agree with you because I, I know some of the studies that you're mentioning there. I couldn't recite them by heart, but I know that they're there. And I know that I've read some other things that support what well, you're I, saying. Well, I heard a thing. I heard a thing. You heard a thing? Yeah, I, I, I'm making fun of us now. But anyway, continue. Right, no, I know. I mean, I'm being so vague. <laughs> but we actually have show notes. You can check our links. Um, yes, we, we will try to find those. Yeah, we will. But it, it, it I don't know if we are actually more or less polarized or if we just have better data, you know? I think it's a little of both. I th like I think we, we, we have I think we the do ability. We have all of these to express ourselves more on, and, and on record. You know, we have the panopticon of Facebook and, and, and Twitter, like recording all of our data. And I'm sure that will never be used against us. Right. But um, I think also, though, OK, now here I'm going to get a little on where, where I go with this. Um, I think has a lot also to do with transformations in, in the class structure of the United States. Uh, Bruce Trigger, uh, who wrote uh, History of Archaeological Thought, which is often kind of the go-to history of archaeological thought, uh, <laughs> it's well-named, but like in, in theory classes, like if you want to know how archaeology has developed, especially archaeology, although he's global about it, he's not just in the Americas, there's also Willie and Sabloff, but he has argued that archaeology and other professional sciences, and here you can look at the work of Adam Stout and others, um, rose to some degree as a reflection of the rise of a sort of educated meritocratic middle class and the mm -hmm. ideal that that was a good thing. And if you looked around a lot of Western economies and societies, and especially the United States recently, say the last 30 years, especially the last 15, um, that's been on the decline. You're and saying the middle class is declining. Well, I mean, the numbers kind of 
the numbers kind of show that. In fact, I showed a lot of students in my Culture Versus in the United States class last year journalism pieces showing how corporations knew this, how corporations were either increasingly going to brands that were either very low end or very high end. It's, it's, it's what's often referred to as the red lobster effect, where you either push your efforts downscale or you push them upscale, but not really kind of aiming at a center right. anymore. And uh, there's a lot of elements. You can see it in things like gentrification. You can see it in terms of wealth inequality. You can see it in terms of um, how, how much it costs to live in a place like San Francisco versus how hard it is to sell your house in a place like pick a Rust Belt town in a Midwestern state. And I think this polarization is not unrelated to that. And we, yeah, okay. You're so bleak. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm trying to come up with something positive to say after that. I don't really know if I have anything. Um, but no, I, well, I think it's I think it's a lay of the land thing. I think I think it's sort of a here's what we have to work with, and I think we have to think about what we do accordingly. No, and you're right, and and there's been a. I hate to say it this way, but there's been like a dumbing down of at least that I've seen of America. Um, and there's been several books written on this topic. And when I find the the titles, I'll put them in the, the show notes. But there has been this like very vocal trend of anti-intellectualism. And, you know, I thought it was getting better there for a while. I was hoping it was getting better. But you know, recent trends and recent events have kind of shown me that maybe that's not true. And again, well, it's, but that's not new, though. That's not new. Like, people talk about not, that for a long time. It's not, but it is like it is painfully obvious now, and that does kind of affect, like you were saying, with the, the decline of the middle class and then this this blatant intell uh, anti-intellectualism. It affects things like education. And that education can affect things like people's ability to understand what a real news story is and what a fake news story is. And that can actually affect people's ability to discern pseudo-archaeology from real archaeology. You know? Sure. There could also be... Yeah, no, I, I... There could also be this level of escapism that pseudo-archaeology provides to people because, you know, researching how to write a, a fantasy novel... I came across some interesting articles that are like, you know, the reason why people like to read fantasy and sci-fi as much as they do is because it provides escapism from a world that they believe is already bleak or rigged against them. And so they... Right. Well, they... It... Go ahead. What you just said, what you just said was where I was going to go with this. To be very bipartisan... Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the... Well, no, no, hang on, no, hang on, no, hang on. Both in, 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 the, in the election that just happened, you had, you know, you had your two nominees, but there was a lot of attention on both the American left and the American right towards the idea, and both sides talked about this of things being rigged. Right. You had the, you had, you know, the people who were following Bernie Sanders and the people who were following Donald Trump that were both using that rhetoric. And of course, we also saw this kind of anti-establishment sort of attitude earlier in. Brexit in the United Kingdom, and we've seen it in other elections in, in the West. And I don't think that's unrelated to what I was talking about earlier. And I think you're right. And so we had talked a century ago, things like a news story in, in, the, in the Grand Canyon, a, a, a town, or um, a, a lost continent and evidence for it that's completely made up in 1912. Well, a lot of the characteristics we're talking about economically were true then too. I mean, they called it the Gilded Age for a reason, mm -hmm. and and I, I think we're seeing things repeat a little. Uh, and I think you're right. I think there is an element of if you don't feel as invested in the institutions because you feel a society is rigged, where it's not a meritocratic ideal, then yes, escapism is going to be more important. And whether a piece is informative or not. If you think things are rigged, there's an element of, well, what does it matter? Sure, right. Um, a, a bunch of years ago, an anthropologist, Elizabeth Byrd, wrote a book about the um, supermarket tabloids. And one of the things, she, and this is, in, I believe, in the 1980s, and even then, she, what she found was, she had a large sample size, is that m many of the people who read the, the Weekly World News and the National Enquirer and the Examiner, 
that when asked about, but aren't these stories kind of absurd? There really isn't any evidence. A, a large proportion of people said, oh, we don't care. That's not important. This is enter this is interesting. It would be interesting if this were true. And that's so we're entertained by that. And that the the truth or falsity was not even secondary. It was irrelevant. Right. L let's take let's take a break because yes. I actually have something to kind of bounce off of that, like to kind of extend that idea. Uh, when we come back, that gets it into our kind of our normal discussion of sure. the paranormal and the fringe and all of that. Super. Telling a different story to the traditional lines of archaeology, the Anarchaeologist podcast seeks the stories and ideas that are often overlooked or not considered real archaeology. Video games, anarchism, and archaeology in the middle of hostile areas. Host Tristan doesn't search under the rocks, he destroys them. Available on iTunes every fortnight. Before the break, Ken was talking about the Elizabeth Bird study on tabloids uh, and how people, it didn't seem to matter whether it was true or, or whether it was not. Uh, and that kind of struck in my head. I've heard elements of that before in paranormal and occult circles. And I, I want to say it was maybe Jacques Vallée in the UFO world. If it was not, I apologize. But this idea that UFOs are here to make us think. And, and I think that's actually how a lot of people interface with it. So on the one hand, I think some of these, these claims and ideas are there to support existing ideologies, you know, whether it's nationalist or, or, or political or religious or whatever it is. And, and, and Sarah covered some of that when she was talking about the book earlier. But I think for some people, this is kind of how they interface with, with how they think science works. And, and if you look at what's popular, when, when people link stuff that's archaeological, it's often things with a mythic resonance or the mystery attached. And people find it interesting. And, and they may care if it's real or not. I'm not sure how much they care, though. <laughs> I, I think there's an element of if it's true, that's great. If it's not, but wouldn't it be interesting if it was? And then they'll use that to spin off. Like the classic example here. How many of you have heard somebody, you know – when asked if UFOs are real, their answer will be, well, it's, it's uh, presumptuous of us, of us to believe right. that with all the stars out there and all the planets out there that there must be intelligent life. And I'm like, I didn't ask you that. I asked That's you if like UFOs landed in Nevada last week. <laughs> That's not the same question, but people take it as an opportunity to talk about a, a, a larger cool idea. Almost and, always. Well, the same thing yeah. there, Jeff, is when is when uh, we'll talk about hyperdiffusionism, whether or not yeah. folks got right. to the new world in antiquity. And you're asking for evidence, and what they'll say is, well, don't you think those people could have successfully navigated the Atlantic? And it's, well, wait a minute, that's not what we're talking about, really. We're talking about, is there evidence that they did? Exactly. They did whether it, yeah. or not it was plausible. Yeah. Right. And, and, I, and I think that's the thing. It becomes a place for people to explore these ideas. And they often then talk about it being against their textbook or against the experts. And I've talked about this before, um, but Jasmine Day and others have done studies of visitors to museums, to like Egyptology museums or Egyptological exhibits in museums. And how the thing is, people don't want to be lectured at. They want to do the exploring. When they do the exploring, where they often fall back is on old colonialist tropes that don't necessarily have any place in reality. Mummies, uh -huh. curses, and native guides and stuff like that. So on the one hand, there's this kind of, I want to be empowered. But then where that goes is, I, now I'm just going to say a thing that has no basis in reality after about 1920. Right. And that kind of goes back yes. to that Victorian thinking that you've mentioned before as as um, basically the main tool of the fringe is they fall back on old, old, old documents to support ridiculous ideas yeah. in today's and, modern and I, and age. I, and I think that gets back to that Gilded Age thing. And I think it gets back to that that idea of not wanting to have faith in institutions. Because, again, the economic and social elements that we're looking at today, you see a lot of parallels a century ago. And at that time when professionalism was on the rise, 
you see a lot of efforts to kind of de-institutionalize, to, to de-legitimize uh, institutions, experts, etc. And, and I don't think this is entirely neutral. I really don't. And, you know, I, I'm not sure if we want to go this way right now, but for me, this, this brings to mind something we've been talking about before. Not a fringe archaeology topic, but the recent um, designation uh, President Obama gave to the Bears Ears National Monument, gave it national monument status. This is in and Utah, right? This is in Utah, southeastern Utah. And how the, there's there was this consortium or coalition of archaeologists, of conservationists, of geologists, as well as um, Indian tribes, the Navi, the, the Navajo, the Hopi, the Zuni, and a couple of bands of the Ute um, Indians who who gathered together to support this nomination, preserving this almost two million acres. Um, and Obama gave it, assigned it its designation as a national monument. And the, the response and the reaction from people against that. And it is this kind of rejection of what the, the institution, the National Park Service, the institution of the presidency, reaction against that, reaction against um, um, pointy-headed intellectuals, the rejection and, and a reaction against American Indians. <clears throat> and we're, I think we're seeing that in this case, that experts and people emotionally and spiritually invested in preserving this land are being mocked and being rejected um, for reasons that fundamentally are, are, are that that speak to um, folks' economic considerations, um, and it's it's tragic. Having been in the area, it is an absolutely stunning, beautiful area. Archaeological sites, um, cultural resources, are one of the main factors involved in the the nomination of this as a national monument and its designation as a national monument. So archeological sites, rock art and um, cliff dwellings and great houses and uh, even sites even more ancient are all part of this. And that's why these, this area, which is all federal property anyway, um, is being designated a national monument. But again, it's the reaction against the institution, the reaction, the reaction against the federal government, the Department of the Interior, Native American tribes, and and academic academicians in archaeology and geology reaction. Let's reject that nonsense so that we can drive our ATVs wherever we want, and we can have we can conduct explorations for oil and gas wherever we want. And that's the sad thing is I, I, I'm not sure they will be able to rescind the nomination. They conceivably may, may be able to scale it back. And it's even possible that Utah could end up instituting regulations that will not allow a president to, to um, designate a national, any more national monuments without the say-so of the congressional, uh, of the, of the, the, the Congress. Yeah. Which is not part of the original law, so it's uh, it's it's a mess. But again, it's this reaction against institutions, against uh, universities, and against Native Americans. See, and that's and not and that's not new. There have been attempts to try to scale back the Antiquities Act uh, yes. in, in this specific capacity in the last years. I've talked about it in my classes. Right? Yeah, and we've yeah. talked about it on the Women in Archaeology podcast as well, and, and yeah. I, I'm pretty sure they've hit on it on the CRM podcast. So. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll include a link to the wording of the Antiquities Act. It's a very short law, and it's a very clear and explicit. Uh, the President of the United States has the power to designate an area as a national monument if he or she uh, deems that to be the best way to manage those lands. And so President Obama was well within his legal rights to do this, but the reaction – and if you listen to the congressional delegation from Utah, they are convinced that with a Republican in the White House, they will be able to eliminate this, to, to put this on the scrap heap of history along with you know, the Affordable Care Act and, any one of an, and regulations and so on and so forth. Um, again, uh, the area is, is, is of special importance to me. I mean I just absolutely love the Four Corners area in southeastern Utah is it's truly remarkable. Um, the, the, the archaeological record there is so incredibly dense. And a, and a lot of these places are open um, for folks, who, tourists who are interested in 
American antiquity to actually engage in these sites, to, to, to see these things for themselves. And anything that's going to help protect and preserve these for future, future generations, I'm all about that. Um, uh, and, and so the, 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 the years-long um, effort to get this place designated as a national monument um, has, you know, borne this wonderful, this wonderful result, but I'm not, I'm not absolutely convinced that there's not going to be a tremendous amount of blowback that's going to actually hurt conservation movement, hurt um, historic preservation movement. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of, I'm, a, I'm concerned about what the future holds. Well, and I think this kind of comes around to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, where I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to engage in like victim blaming basically, but I feel like if the common person was more invested in and understood archaeology and the importance of cultural heritage better, I mean, yeah, you're still going to have people who are like, I want to drive my ATV all over everything because rar. You're going to have those people. And I'm trying really hard not to get like super angry political right now. Um, but I feel like that if if people were just better informed on why the cultural heritage is important, it doesn't have to do with Native Americans versus white people. It's everybody's heritage. We all live here. That's part of America. We should maybe know something about it. You know, and, and if people understood that once this is gone, it's not coming back, you can't recreate it, you can't just take a bunch of paintbrushes out there and paint pictures on the rocks again and woo, it's back and brand new. It does, that's not how that works. I think if people understood that a little bit better, maybe they would be a little less against this, this whole like not making it, they'd be more, more open to preserving it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. There's also a small part of me that just... About- there's there's also a small part of me that wonders like with everything else that has happened over the last eight years if everybody just hates it because Obama said it, you know. I think there's it's, some truth. I think there's yeah. some of that, and, and Obama, yeah. and then a bunch of scientists. Yeah, I mean, and rangers, and again, getting back to Ken's like the point-headed intellectuals, and you brought this up with the with the anti-intellectual thing as well. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, in the last eight years, if if Obama has breathed, then certain demographics of this country have been completely and utterly against it, you know? And I can't wonder if that's not part of it. Yeah. But I guess ultimately one of the goals of this podcast has always been, and will continue to be, maybe we'll accelerate this to be proactive, to not just respond to not just, just to debunk fake archeology, span but to kind of uh, talk more, talk about, the, why is this significant? Why is the Bears Ears area it, significant? Why is preserving archaeological sites significant? What can those places actually tell us about about the human condition? And I, I, I'm hoping, maybe I'm you know being Pollyanna-ish, but I'm hoping that yeah, that if we can articulate to folks who are not archaeologists why they should care about this, that this is our collective heritage. It's not the heritage of only one group of people or another group. It's all of our, it's the heritage of all Americans. And it's, it's something that we need to, to, um, to act towards preserving so that our kids and grandchildren and great grandchildren, everybody loves, you know, kids and grandkids. It's all, that's what's, what, uh, is important. So let's make sure that these places are there for them to see and enjoy and to learn from, um, that maybe we can have that that positive impact, so that people will say, "No, you know what? Uh, this is important. We understand why this is important, and let's act to preserve these places for the present and the future." And you know, we'll we'll just keep on doing that and hope we have that positive impact. Well, and one of the things getting to what this podcast is about is, and and, and I, I sort of alluded to this earlier. When we're talking about subsistence patterns, whatnot, that's all damn important. That gets really hard for people to listen. Right. The things that we do talk about on this show is actually when people listen. And a lot of people that are going to listen you know, or, or be interested in them may never care what we say because we are pointy-headed, intellectual, blah, 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 blah. But some won't. You know, Sarah, you were saying, like, I, I hope if people will 
just li- know more. They might care more. There are a lot of people that are never going to. That's right. a reality. I know. Sure. But there are some that will. And and like I was telling you earlier, I mean, I'm not trying to change the mind of the person who is set against me. I'm trying to put information into the hands of the people who are witnessing the conversation. I I am perfectly okay with the fact that if I am talking to someone who is invested in their fringe beliefs, that I am not going to change their mind. What I am more concerned about is having a day, uh, having a conversation that the people who are watching can follow and can easily say, okay, that was a rational argument. That was an irrational argument. This was evidence. That was the lack of evidence. And I want people to be able to walk away from that conversation and be able to make an informed decision from that conversation. And I think Ken kind of feels the same way, don't you, Ken? Yeah. Well, yeah, what I was going to say is my favorite conversations with students these days is when I ask them, well, how many of you guys watch Ancient Aliens? How many of you watch, used to watch America on Earth? And they would say, yeah. And I would say, well, you know, those shows are bullshit. My favorite conversations are when they look at me and they say, oh, really? Why? So they're not invested in what those guys are saying. They just think, well, that's interesting. And but when they hear somebody, uh, in this case, a person in a position of authority, they're at the front of the classroom who says, well, no, that's bullshit. And that sparks an interest in them to find out, well, why do you say that? Why do you think that? That's that's okay. And maybe then we can thank those shows for getting kids interested in the first place. And bringing them into those intro archaeology courses because they think it's going to be about ancient aliens and America and Earth, and they find out well it's not, but here's why. But well, I, get, I get a lot of that with my my lost cities and ancient civilizations course because sure. of that that title. I will say this: I'm going to make a not a prediction of something I think is guaranteed to happen, but something I suspect might happen. This is going to sound really weird. I was when Ken said he he was he he doesn't want to sound like a Pollyanna. And I'm like, I was trying to think of any context I would ever be accused of that. Um, <laughs> no, it's not possible. Well, here's one yes and no. Uh, I'm actually going to say things are going to get much worse in some senses. But I will say this. Given that we have seen an increase in kind of conspiratorial thinking and what we might refer to as the fringe in mainstream society recently, I do sometimes think that that does actually have the effect of kind of limiting the audience of interest in more traditional bullshit. Okay. So you were, I actually see, I will, I will actually make the suggestion that you might actually see a little less interest in things like ancient aliens and whatnot, in part because it's actually now closer in some ways to the mainstream (laughs) discussion. And and, and, and that's, yeah, and that's not good in some ways, but like in other ways that I'm just saying you might actually see that. So what I've heard Jeb say here is that our show is now no longer going to be one of those fun little shows you listen to because you've got an hour to kill. But we have now become part of the mainstream media. I would. I've been saying this is this is a thing. I, I I've been saying again when we talk about things, the stuff that we talk about and like talking about conspiracy theory, talking about how the media ignores narratives that it finds too weird. That's what we've been doing for years, and all of a sudden, everybody else is playing catch-up. Right, and <laughs> and you're correct. Like, we have – one of my goals of the show is to have make it be a little beacon of logic and a big sea of weird. And we, I think, have successfully done that in the past two years, and I hope as we're going forward that we will continue to be that beacon. And I, I didn't realize how important that would be in the upcoming four years, but it – doesn't scare me it actually kind of excites me a little bit because i'm like yay we're gonna be really we've become important enough for people to take notice yeah we sure shit won't be lacking for topics this year will we that is the god no no again if you guys go if you all look go look at that that uh blog post that uh jason colavito put up the number of things again it's all stale it's all stuff we've all heard before. it won't be in six months Good God. Oh, God. Like I said, I went and read his previous one, and it was it was a little Pollyanna. It's like, oh, here's all these things, and then it's twice as long this year. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, Ken, final thoughts? Final thoughts. I'm looking forward to another year. I mean, I, I think we've done 
I think we've done good work on this podcast, and I, I know we've gotten a lot of good positive feedback from folks. And keep that feedback coming and keep suggesting topics for us to cover, and we'll ignore most of them, but we'll, we'll focus <laughs> – We'll, we'll respond we, we, to some of that. We will ignore all but the strangest. There you go. There you go. Okay. In all fairness, and we covered been, about a third of them. All right. All right. But it's been. It's listen. It's been a pleasure. Uh, love working with the with the both of you. Um, and uh, let's keep on trucking. Jeb, final thoughts. Um, I'm, I, th- I think we've, we've covered a lot of good stuff today. Uh, it, it's a little. It's a little more freeform. We didn't cover one specific topic, but. Uh, I think we kind of had to, one, second year, two, a lot of this stuff is actually a lot more relevant. So I, I, a sort of foundational statement is not a bad idea. Yeah, and, and this show was a little bit more a little bit more political than we usually get into. We, we try to keep it lighthearted, and we, but we, we do try to inform. And I think going forward, we're going to have a – I think we're going to have a fun year. I think we're going to have a fun year. In the Se- and send all those angry emails to Sarah, and she'll respond. That's true. You can reach us at archiefantasies at gmail.com. I promise a human being will at least look at your email. Um, If you are writing to me an email just to be belligerent, I will not respond to you. But if you're writing to be friendly, I might say thanks. (laughs) Guys, it was great having you on the show. Awesome show. And we'll see you. See you in the funny papers. <laughs> yes, thank you. All right, guys, bye. As one will call, no, we don't do a dinosaur. Thanks for listening. We hope you've enjoyed it. Our music was provided by Archeosuit Productions. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher and share us wherever you use social media. You can contact us with your questions, comments, or angry email at archiefantasies at gmail.com. You can follow the podcast at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. You can follow the blog at www.archiefantasies.com and get updates on Tumblr and Twitter at archiefantasies. You can also look for us on Facebook. If you're looking for the show notes for this episode, go to the podcast website at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com slash archiefantasies. Thanks again for listening. No, we don't do dinosaurs. No, we don't do dinosaurs. We don't do dinosaurs. This show is produced by Chris Webster and Tristan Boyle and was edited by Chris Webster. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www archaeologypodcastnetwork.com Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com